0: With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are brought to select from the U.S. program, Jack Hughes. Let's go, Plays oh it across, but Well, good evening. Welcome in, Duncan. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. So uh, I had Ian on, you know, over a week ago, um, did his top 17 and what he thought. um, And you're going to give me your realistic 17 like he did.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds great. Uh, Yeah, obviously a big fan of Ian and his work. That's why we do our podcast together. So I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so um, let's start off with, okay, first off, everyone should know that the Devils are picking seventh overall due to the draft lottery, 11th currently, if everything goes correct with Arizona, and then um, the 17th pick uh, with Vancouver, if everything goes correct. Um, Let's start off at seven.
1: Yeah, seven is an interesting spot for me because I feel like I feel like everyone can agree on the top three. There might be some debate as to the order, but the top three is some combination of Lafreniere, Byfield, and Stutzla. Like that's I would say that's probably not all that controversial. But as soon as you get to pick number four, and until pick number basically eight, I feel like there's there's a lot of different combinations you can come up with so number seven for me is interesting because realistically the devils could get someone who's number four on their board because the teams that are ahead of them might just have a different opinion about you know a variety of players so um, you know for me on my list I have um, you know number seven is a close call between Alexander Holtz who's a right winger from Sweden and someone like Cole Perfetti who's a left wing, and he plays for Saginaw in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, two really good offensive players. Uh, Alexander Holtz is one of the best shooters in this draft. I'd say he's, he's probably top two in the draft in terms of shooting ability. Uh, he can beat goalies clean. Uh, he tends to be a bit more of a perimeter player than a player that kind of forces his way into the center of the ice to more high-danger areas. But his shot is so good that he doesn't need to get to high-danger areas. Like, I've, you know, we've seen him uh, make wrist shots that if it were a different player would be, you know, fairly low danger, and he's just able to beat goalies fairly clean from, you know, as far off as the circles. So he, he's a really interesting player if if you're interested in adding someone who can fill the net. Like I'm trying to picture strapping someone to either Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes for the next 10 years. Uh, Alexander Holtz would be a really interesting choice. Um, you know, Cole Perfetti is is another choice there. Um, I think he's someone that could go as high as like four or five, and as late as like eight or nine. Um, he's more of an all around player. Uh, he was second in scoring in the entire Ontario Hockey League, and trailing only Marco Rossi, who played with the Ontario Sixty Sevens. But he did that with a much, maybe not much, but a worse supporting cast than Marco Rossi. The 67s were a powerhouse. They were absolutely the best team in the CHL this year. Uh, Saginaw, the Saginaw Spirit, uh, weren't close to that in terms of roster construction. The thing about Perfetti is that his skating isn't a strength like he 's someone that is fairly efficient in how he gets around the ice he 's good at protecting the puck he 's actually really good in transitioning from the defensive zone to the offensive zone, but he doesn 't do it because of speed um, he 's able to protect the puck he 's able to anticipate plays uh, he 's an amazing passer but he doesn 't do it at speed he 's able to kind of slow the, slow the game down uh, he 's someone who 's more efficient than dynamic i 'd say. Um, and he's very unselfish. Um, you know, he scored a lot of goals this season, uh, but at the same time, he's probably one of the better playmakers. So he's one of those real dual threat prospects that we talk about. You know, you have to respect this shot, which opens up uh, options for him to be a really creative playmaker because the defense might bias towards covering him as opposed to his teammates, which is why he's been so good. Um, and when I did some research into... Uh, comparing Marco Rossi who's you know probably a top 5 top 6 prospect and someone like Cole Perfetti Cole Perfetti's stats especially when it comes to goal scoring actually go up against harder competition Marco Rossi was someone that really uh performed extremely well against the worst OHL teams and and performed I would say just well against tougher competition Perfetti was the opposite you know he he he's obviously a great player but he elevated his offensive production when he was facing better teams, which I think is a really interesting stat. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons why someone like Marco Rossi might have that trend. You know, he tends to be a much more premier two-way player. Like he's very good defensively. So I could see, um, you know, a situation where Rossi has been asked to play a more defensive role and Profetti is being relied upon to be, you know, the main driver of his team's offense just because of his supporting cast. Uh, but he's a really interesting choice. And like I said, and I think, um, you know, some of the guys over at Sportsnet even suggested Profetti, someone that could go as high as four to a team like Detroit. Um, but he is, he has the potential to be there at pick number seven. Hey. Hey, well, about that.
0: Yeah, that was kind of weird. So it did save some of the uh, early few minutes. So um, we were just talking about, um, getting to your picks at the top ten, so um, yeah, let's let's go to that ten slot.
1: Yeah, number ten is is again interesting. Like I I feel like the farther down the draft you get, the the wider the range of opinions. So um, for me, someone I have at slot number ten um, would be someone like Seth Jarvis, who who can play center but is also a winger. He plays in the WHL. Uh, he's somewhat undersized, like he's closer to Jack Hughes, his size, um, but he's a very dynamic player. He's got great skating, uh, extremely explosive, like he's got that great first step. And he's someone that is very creative when it comes to transitioning through the neutral zone. So he's able to make some great passes. He can use his speed and his four-way mobility to change direction. And he he just makes really good choices. Like he he's another one of those players that's a dual threat so he has a great shot. He's able to get to really high danger zones in front of the net. But he's also a really efficient and creative passer, um, especially when it comes to passing into those high danger areas right in front of the net. Um, and despite his size, he isn't scared of getting to those high danger areas. Like he's willing to fight for his ice, uh, which is something that I think is really important when you're a player that is a bit undersized. Um, and he's he's. Got that kind of Mitch Marner thing going on when it comes to the power play. Like he usually sits on the half wall. And he's able to either distribute the puck and get the cycle going and then sneak into a high danger area or just distribute the puck in a really creative way. So, you know, he he has that dynamic element to his game, but he also does other things. Like he's a he's a great penalty killer. Uh, he's able to use his speed and his stick uh, to break up plays on the back check. So he, he just checks a lot of boxes for me. Uh, And as a player that I think I'm really excited about, uh, you know, he's, he's ranked uh, anywhere from, you know, even in the top seven or top eight all the way to like the 15, 16 range. So I think he's actually somewhat realistic uh, to pick up, you know, in the, uh, in the 10 spot with the Arizona pick. Uh, He's someone I'm really excited about.
0: And so who else uh, outside of that pick do you see, Another exciting player besides Jarvis um, at a 10
1: spot. Yeah, my, my next one might be, might be controversial because some people have him way higher. Um, I have Jake Sanderson at around 10. Um, you know, he's someone that I think other people see as potentially even a top five, top six pick. Some people have him closer to 10 or in the low teens. Uh, he's that kind of prototypical two way defenseman. He has some of the best skating in the draft. He's able to rush the puck up. Uh, he's not the most offensively gifted person, but he he is that like prototypical mobile two way defenseman. That like you you look at Jake Sanderson and what he did this year, and you say that guy's going to play at least two hundred games in the NHL. There's very little question in my mind and anybody's mind that he's going to make it and actually be uh, an effective NHL defenseman. The question for me is like how much he can contribute uh, offensively. You know, he, he does have skill. He has some great hockey sense, but it's not the strongest part of his game. But he does have the potential to be, you know, potentially a top pairing defenseman. Uh, he's just not going to be the Kale McCarr, the Quinn Hughes, like that sort of offensively gifted person. He's just going to be a very efficient, effective uh, two-way player. So, I mean, that's the reason why I have him closer to 10 than I do to five. Uh, but Jake Sanderson, if you get him at 10, would be insane value. Uh, it's just that for me, when I'm looking at, you know, that earlier spot, the, the seventh overall pick, I don't think I would necessarily pick him there, but I'd definitely be comfortable at, at around 10. Uh, one last person I'll mention here is Jack Quinn, who's a right wing. He plays for the, the Ottawa 67s in the OHL. And, uh, you know, we talked about Holtz earlier. Uh, Jack Quinn is the other top uh, shooter in this draft. I would say the two of them are basically neck and neck. Uh, One of the most accurate wrist shots I think I've ever seen. Uh, He went from being a bit of a nobody last season, to scoring over 50 goals. Uh, Part of that is due to the injury to Graham Clark, who's the devil's prospect who uh, wrecked his shoulder earlier in the year. And so Jack Quinn was put in the position that I think most of us expected Graham Clark to be in, uh, which is basically being the go-to trigger man on the team. And the cool thing about Quinn, because I know some people look at him and they see someone that kind of is the trigger man, but doesn't create a lot of offense. Other than that, uh, only 15 of his 52 goals were scored on the power play. So the vast majority of them were scored at even strength. Um, and he just does so much. Like I don't think I've seen uh, a heat map for a draft prospect this season that is as close to the net as Jack wins. You know, he has that wrist shot and just like Alexander Holtz, he can he can beat goalies from, you know, the circles, like he has that good of a shot, but he is always in front of the net, whether it's on a breakaway, uh, you know, he's he plays the bumper slot on the power play, so he's just in front of the net. He's able to battle for his face. And he has that kind of James Van Rinsdijk sort of thing where he's in front of the net and he's able to roof pucks from, you know, a foot or two away. So he's just very gifted, very talented. And despite being, you know, one of the more effective offensive players in this draft, he actually kills penalties and he actually hustles on the backtrack. Um, so he, his goal scoring is by far his greatest uh, asset, uh, other assets to his game. And I, I think he, I think he'd be someone that you'd look at at a rounds 10 or 11, you know, I might be more comfortable getting closer into the mid-teens. But, uh, you know, if the Devils think that Jack Quinn could be a good asset for this team, I could absolutely see him strapped to, you know, uh, Jack Hughes or Nico Heischer for the next 10 years, too. Just because if you give that kid the puck basically anywhere, uh, he's going to shoot it. And, uh, you know, maybe more often than not, it's going to go in.
0: And so you you put up a couple of great players that I liked at the 10th spot that really could be really great value picks. Um, Who do you see great value in at the 17th range?
1: Yeah, 17 is interesting. Like In between that kind of 10th spot and 17, I have players like um, Rodion Amarov, Braden Schneider, Dawson Mercer, Noel Gundler. Um, And I even have one of those uh, German prospects, Lucas Reichel at around like the 18th spot. I'll just talk about a few of those and maybe we can uh, chat about the others. If you're curious. Um, Oh, definitely. uh, Braden Schneider is, I think probably the the third best defenseman in this draft. The first two being Jamie Drysdale and Jake Sanderson. Uh, Schneider plays uh, defense in the WHL and he, he might be, one of the more NHL ready defensemen. So he's fairly large, he's six foot two. Uh, he doesn't have the best top end speed, but he, he's one of those four way mobility players. He's able to accelerate fairly quickly, but he's able to change direction uh, really well. And he uses that to his advantage to escape a forecheck and make a good first pass. Um, he uses his size and his, his smarts uh, to replays and, and keep really good gap control. So he kind of reminds me of Kevin Ball a bit in that he's a big player that can be physical, but he absolutely doesn't need to uh, because he's able to read plays and use the stick to disrupt a zone entry, much in the same way that that Kevin Ball will. Um, so he's really good at stripping the, pup, the puck, changing direction, and making a really quick breakout pass. Uh, and. The, the cool thing about Schneider is he doesn't make a lot of risky plays. So there are some other defensemen that will probably go closer to the end of the first round that are much more risky. You know, they have a higher offensive ceiling, but they're going to overcommit to, to low percentage plays much more often. Schneider is going to be one of those really reliable two way defensive, uh, you know, minute munching defenders in the NHL. And, and similar to Jake Sanderson, you know, it's hard to imagine a situation where Schneider doesn't pan out to some degree. The question is, is he going to be a third-pairing defenseman, a you know, second-pairing defenseman, or I would say less likely a top-pairing defenseman? I, I think that's kind of the question around him. If if you're looking for, you know, an effective, efficient, somewhat mobile defenseman, I think he's a great choice um, and someone that I'd be interested in at or around 17. Um, and then Dawson Mercer is, um, is another really great choice at around 17. Uh, Future Considerations has him ranked as high as 13. Same with McKean's. And uh, hockeyprospects.com has him at 18. So I think this is a really fair spot to put him. Uh, something cool about him. So he wasn't invited to the Canadian Hockey World Junior Summer Camp last, last summer, about a year ago. Um, and despite that, he actually fought his way onto the World Junior roster uh, for the tournament uh, this December and January. Uh, he had a really hot start to the year, and he's someone that can play basically all three forward positions. He typically plays center, but he's effective as a winger. Uh, he's His his best asset is his two-way game. So he is uh, fairly strong, uh, but he's like a really effective four-checker. He can play as a power forward. Um, and he's amazing at penalty killing. He's probably one of the best penalty killers in the QMJHL. And to some extent, he reminds me a bit of Blake Coleman when Coleman is on his game. You know, he he's tenacious. He's fully committed to the forecheck. And then once he gets the puck, he actually has the skills and the tools to do something with it. Uh, so for that reason, I, I think he's really effective. And, you know, I could even see him playing center at the NHL. Although, you know, he's someone that I think could be a top six player. And if we were to strap Dawson Mercer to Jack Hughes's wing, he's someone that could definitely take faceoffs when uh the faceoff is on Jack Hughes' offside. Um and he's someone that could definitely cover for a more offensively gifted player like Hughes. I think that could be like a really interesting synergy. And he's just really smart. Like he's he's the sort of player that's great at distributing the puck. Uh, he's creative, but he makes his line mates better. The only thing that he really needs to work on other than uh, maybe focusing a bit more on his offense compared to his defense is just skating. Uh, he's someone that has the physical tools, but he just hasn't put it together. His skating stride can be a bit awkward sometimes, but he's able to be a really good transitional player despite that because he thinks the game so clearly and he's able to anticipate. So I, I think Mercer would be you know, another good choice there. And, and maybe one more name I'll include is Noel Gunler. Uh, who's a right-winger, and he played all season in the SHL, uh, which is really impressive as a teenager. And if you want to take a swing on an offensively gifted player, then Gunler at 17 is a, probably a good choice. Uh, he's a very creative offensive player. He has probably a top-five shot in the draft, so he's right up there with Holt and Quinn, but I would say just below them. Uh, and one thing he's really good at is being really elusive. So he's able to kind of sneak his way into high danger areas despite the fact that he isn't the strongest player and he isn't the greatest skater but he's able to read plays to such a degree that he can split between coverage and find himself in the slot and then make a really great play once his teammates get the puck to him. Um, he's able to to really change the angles on his shots and, and uh, kind of fight around uh, defenders and goalies. He's just someone that's really Kind of electric, and it's it's strange to think about a player that is as elusive or creative as him, while not being the best skater. Like it's just like a pretty unique set of skills, um, and you know, despite the fact that he's basically being labeled as a pure offense player, uh, his defense isn't terrible. It's just not great. You know, Mercer or Rossi are great two-way players. Like they have that instinct. They have that effort level. Gunler doesn't necessarily have the instinct, but it doesn't mean he he doesn't try. He's just the sort of player that is more likely to try to cheat on the breakout and separate from play early for the chance of getting a breakaway um, rather than committing to the defensive play and breaking out of his, as a team. So Gunler is like a really intriguing, but probably a riskier prospect in the sense that if he isn't generating offense at the NHL level, I'm not sure he's going to do all that much for you.
0: Now, I want to get into a little bit more of the constructive criticism parts. Uh, Ever since Tommy Fitzgerald came to the helm as the full-time GM uh, just not long ago, um, he did talk about he wants more speed and he wants to have players that have more offensive upside. And he has Lindy Ruff as the coach. And I know I'm getting Mm -hmm. a little further ahead, but um, you do want your – draftees and prospects to be on the same page as as Fitzgerald does. Um, Mm -hmm. Now let's think about guys like Rodion Amirov who can build a little bit like Marion Hosa, but can skate Mm -hmm. like a Blake Coleman with a lot of tenaciousness. Um, Mm -hmm. Who are some of your favorites uh, that you think that fits the the Fitzgerald mode?
1: Yeah. I I mean, Amirov is a great, a great name that you brought up. He's one of those, You know, dual threat players that I think could be really effective, even if his offense doesn't necessarily translate. So he's able to uh, be really effective in the neutral zone. He's great at finding what you might call like soft ice, where when he enters the zone with the puck on his stick, he's not going to force plays. Um, He's going to see kind of the different levels of coverage and find weaknesses and get the puck there, whether it's by rushing the puck himself or finding teammates that are, uh, that are open. Um, you know, he definitely has that kind of hustle to his game, that I think, you know, kind of refers to what Fitzgerald is talking about. Um, and I think he'd be a really great choice. He's kind of in between that kind of 10 slot, 10, 11 and 17 for me, I think uh I, I think he might be slightly a reach when it comes to like pick number 10 or 11. But if you got him at 17, it would be amazing to hide. But at the same time, I don't necessarily think he has the best skating. Um, like I said earlier, I think Jack Quinn might be an interesting choice in that he has basically a constant motor. Um, and despite the fact that most people see him as a shooter and, and little else, uh, he is able to contribute uh, when it comes to two-way play, he has a good motor. Isn't the most gifted skater, but he's like he, hes always putting in the effort. Uh, he kills penalties, things like that. So, um, you know, if, if you're looking at skating, I think you know you probably have to take a longer look at Jake Sanderson. You know, someone that is possibly one of the best skaters in the draft. Um, you know, if, if that's going to be a focus for you, I—I I think that's definitely a choice you could make. I mean, Seth Jarvis too. Um, you know, there, there are players like even Anton Lundell, who I have ranked at number nine, who's more of a two way center, a uh, very responsible player that's playing professionally in Liga as a teenager. I'm not sure if, if you're focused on the two things you mentioned, Joe, uh, skating and offensive upside. If Lundell is really your guy, because he's very defen- like defensively responsible but he's not a great skater. And there are questions about how much he contributes offensively. Um, So while he's a very good player and I think worthy of a top 10 pick, if those are some of the criteria you're using, I wonder if you look elsewhere, if Lundell is on the board at 10.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I look at when I watch, you know, tape on players, well, YouTube tape, that is. Um, I usually think, I usually think of, when I see the seventh overall pick, um, if Raymond's not there, um, my, my best bet is Alexander Holtz right there. And I do like his skating. His skating to me looks more crisp and clean than let's say Patrick line. but that shot is almost eerily similar. If not just slightly better. I'm not sure how you could put it in recent years compared to other, uh shooters that age group um how would you explain that to our listeners
1: in terms of alexander holtz and his, yeah, his shooting, shooting and skating yeah i mean he's he's one of those skaters and there's quite a few of them in this draft class that i would say are, are good good skaters they have mobility they're able to to move in all four directions but they don't have uh, like premier top end speed Let's think of a guy like Mike McLeod that can really burn and his top-end speed is insane, but it doesn't always do him, it it doesn't always serve him well because he isn't necessarily always able to make the plays at speed that he wants to. And Holtz is a player that won't be able to get quite as fast as McLeod, but is able to read plays uh, and make plays at his top speed and he's able to accelerate fairly quickly. His shot is... Very, very good. Um, and it, you know, trying to put this in perspective, you know, he's playing in Sweden's top professional league as a teenager in his draft year, and his shot is so good that he's able to score wrist shots from the circles. And you know, the circles are somewhat differently placed on international ice than they are in the NHL. Uh, without relying on things like uh, someone screening the goalie, like he's able to shoot the puck from that distance with the goalie seeing it, you know, the whole time and still be a threat to score, which I would say is quite rare. Um, the, the points he put up as a teenager in the SHL are among the best uh, we've seen in the past 10 and 15 years. You know, he, his production was actually better than uh, Lucas Raymond's who I have ranked fourth and I have Holtz ranked seventh. Um, the only reason for that difference is I feel like Raymond gives you more than Holtz does. Like Holtz his shooting is his primary benefit. Um, Raymond does have a bit more diversity to his game. But when it comes to shooting, you know, I'm trying to think of players in the last couple of drafts that are as good as him, like uh, Cole Caulfield, maybe. Um, you know, the list is pretty short. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he just has a pretty singular talent. Um, and the fact that he's using it at the professional level uh, in a league that doesn't give a ton of ice time uh, to teenagers you know, he's, he's got it. Like some people have that kind of it factor, that dynamic ability to take over games when you need to. Um, and Holtz and his shot, uh, you know, definitely approach that level.
0: One of the players that um, we talked about was Cole Perfetti. One, one of the things that stands out to me is his smarts. His smarts to mm-hmm. me are Jonathan Taves like, which is really, really good for a kid at his age. Um I had another guy on um on the Raising Hell in Jersey podcast um telling me that you know because his lack of foot speed and his skating is a little bit less than for a center uh they could they they could possibly see the Devils put him at wing maybe left wing um <laughs> who does he remind you of with his two-way
1: game Yeah I mean the tapes thing isn't you know, I hadn't thought of that, but I could see—I see what you mean, though. Um, you know, Taves himself isn't a skater, um, and he definitely has that two-way element to his game. Um, Cole Perfetti—yeah, you know, this is a tough one. He's—I haven't seen a ton of players that look like him in the OHL uh, or that came through the OHL system. Um, you know, to some extent, I've been thinking about someone like. Dylan Strome, and I know there are differences there because Strome was much more consistent in playing center in his draft year than Perfetti has been this year. Um, and I hesitate to use Strome as a comparable because you know he hasn't necessarily turned out as well as all of us thought he would. Um, but to the extent that he's able to be extremely effective despite his foot speed, uh, you know maybe there's some comparison to be made there when when it comes to the NHL. I'm trying to think of, of who might be a decent comparable because, you know, he has that really rare combination of both a really good shot and extremely intelligent playmaking. And to me, the, the word efficient is what sticks in my mind when I think about Perfetti. Like he isn't necessarily the most like dynamic, gets you out of your seat player. Um, you know, like the, that element that maybe someone like Jack Hughes has Perfetti is like a machine. You know, like everything runs through him when Saginaw breaks the puck out of the defensive zone. If he isn't carrying the puck, he has at least one touch in the play that brings the puck through the neutral zone. Uh, he's just an amazing conduit, uh, a very unselfish player. Um, you know, I I think you might have brought brought up Marion Hosta and yes. talking about Rodian Amaro I wonder yes. if there's a bit of that to Perfetti's game as well.
0: Yeah, the Anytime I look at those former NHLers and I see something in a rookies game that screams I have a little bit of this guy in the in their player DNA and to me <laughs> it kind of screams a lot and like um there's and there's another player that we haven't touched on yet in uh Jan Um <laughs> I first I first learned about him against uh Russia because you know, I'm always watching Czechia ver- because of uh, Patrick Aliosh being the assistant coach, um, I wonder if there's going to be any influence um, Patty has with uh, Tom Fitzgerald and his scouts uh, giving intel. Um, because Mishak to me, like he's got a really good, well-rounded game. He may not be the player that doesn't get you out of your seat right away, but he's one of the more reliable players, and he came over to the OHL to the Hamilton Bulldogs in the second half of the season and he's starting to put up a good show on a on a Hamilton team. Let's let's crack up on um on on Mr. Mishak.
1: Yeah, Meeshak is interesting because he did the rare thing of leaving uh his European squad to come to Hamilton basically halfway through the season, which yeah, it just doesn't happen that often. Um, and when he came to Hamilton, he really started to light it up. Um, you know, when we looked at Cole Perfetti and Marco Rossi to look at their offensive production versus good teams and bad teams, uh, Mishak is one of the examples of a player that um, I would say performed much better against worse teams than he did against good teams within the H- OHL. Some of that might be just adjusting to the smaller ice and the North American game. I think there's definitely going to be an adjustment period. Um, But he has, uh, you know, I would say really good tools. Like he's got some good skating. Uh, It's a really, um, you know, I would say efficient stride. Um, And he has a lot to offer. And I think I saw him, like the, the amount of breakaways this kid got in the OHL compared to other players was, I think, just hilarious. I'm not sure if that was the result of his particular set of skills or just him being in a slightly different spot than you might expect because he's coming from a different European system. Uh, But I really like him. Like he's, he's an interesting player. I don't think he's going to be incredibly dynamic if he makes the NHL, but I I think he has some really good tools to be both, you know, a shooter uh, and a playmaker. Um, I, I don't know if I would have him at 17 uh, but he wouldn't be that far off. Like, I think he's he's probably a good bet to go in, you know, the 20s range. Uh, you know, what do you think about him, Joe? Well, what I
0: like about Mishak is that in his own defensive zone and playing against the opposition, like what I saw him against versus Russia, I saw the way he could play a perimeter game and keeping the opponent outside of the – face-off circle, which to me is very important in Devils hockey where we were watching a lot of our own players getting hemmed in in their own zone, and it's hard to uh, push the puck out and you know <clears throat> and try and kill off power plays or just even even strength uh, opportunities. And you want to get the puck out or you want to strip the puck away. And to me, Meshack is one of those guys who can get his stick in the lane. He gets really good reads. Um, he's able to have good enough transition up ice without needing a second guy. And he knows when to be selfish at the right time and shooting it right on net. And to me, that reminds me of the drive he had against, uh, it was against Yaroslav Askarov, the best goaltender in this draft. Mm-hmm. And he he faked, you know, a pass by using the, the puck on his back blade of the stick and he roofed it in the top corner, which to me is is an, an impressive job for a kid like that in on a big stage in your home country.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Like, he does have really good tools. Um, for me, they're just players I, I tend to like slightly more. Um, one thing that I noticed with him, and you'll see this with junior players all the time, but maybe it seems to be more frequent with him is, you know, when he's using his foot speed to rush the puck into the zone, I think he maybe tends to hold on to the puck a bit too much. You know, you'll see players start to circle the zone and stick to the perimeter looking for something to happen rather than kind of pushing into the middle of the ice to make something happen. Um, Just in some of the times I saw him, whether he came through town in Mississauga or online, I, I tended to see a bit of that. Um, but that's the sort of thing that is the result of of training and instincts. That that sort of thing can usually be trained out. So, I you know I don't think that's a reason not to not to draft him. But I to me there are players that have I would say slightly more complete uh, toolkits. But yeah, he's definitely an interesting player, and, and it's always cool to see people come over partway through the year and try to adapt to an entirely new system. Um, yeah, he's he's really talented.
0: And so um, one of the other guys that I've been keep an eye on um is maverick bork a kid who can uh he can really shoot the puck but he's he's a good skater for a guy who's a center for shawinigan in the qmjhl it seems the qmjhl is doing a better job this year producing uh forwards um mm-hmm. what what do you like his intangibles um as a forward in this year's draft um do you think is a really good skatered enough that the devils could take a flyer on him or do you think you know some of his capabilities are uh, a little lesser than for uh, someone that might be worth a, a 17th overall pick
1: yeah like he's he's part of that bubble group with me and i I probably put my strike in that group as well like i don't think he wasn't in my top 17 or even top 18 because I had Lucas Reichel there at 18, but he's in that next tier for me. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy. He's, I think he's five foot 10 or five eleven. 11. Very good skater though. Uh, and he's a really kind of, I would say complete two way player, um, you know, very defensively responsible, similar to Perfetti. He's usually an essential part of the breakout uh, transitioning through the neutral zone, whether it's on his stick or he's making good passes to his teammates, um, you know, he, he, I think he was basically a 30 goal scorer for Shawagan this season. Um, so he does have the offense behind him. So it's 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 a really interesting question, Joe, because he has one part of that equation. He has the skating and the mobility that I think you're looking for. But when it comes to offense, I'm not sure he's going to necessarily light it up at the NHL level. And to some extent, the the doubles have a lot of prospects in their system that fit that mold, that they have the mobility, but there's questions about offense. Um, I wonder if they try to skew the other way lately and focus on the offensive ability and hope that they can help prospects get faster. That's, I think that's my only concern. There.
0: And so this makes me theorize this. Um, you talk about players being more offensive or offensive uh, to put it. Um, who would be your perfect three, you know, seven, 10, mm. 17, that would fit that mold.
1: Yeah. Okay. This, this is going to get fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm assuming the top three are gone, you know, Lafreniere by field um, When it comes to pick number seven, you know, I, I'd probably be looking at someone like, you know, I mean, my 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 list from four to eight looks like this. It looks like Lucas Raymond, who I would say is very offensively gifted, both as a shooter and a passer. Marco Rossi, who does basically everything extremely well. He just happens to be five foot nine. Uh, Jamie Drysdale, I would probably leave out of that discussion if we're talking just offense, but he's my favorite defenseman from the draft. And then you get Alexander Holtz, who has the shot, and then Cole Perfetti, who's the more complete offensive player. Um, So if we're talking offense, you know, biasing towards offense rather than skating, you're probably looking at a decision point between Holtz and Perfetti, or maybe Raymond if he's there, but I'm kind of assuming he's going to be gone earlier. And I, I think those are both excellent choices, and you're just trying to decide between do you want the trigger man who can shoot from basically anywhere or do you want the more complete player uh, that can be a threat both to pass and to shoot, but won't be as fast as someone like Alexander Holtz. So, you know, Cole Perfetti the more complete, but slightly slower player. Holtz is the shot that can really wheel up the ice, but doesn't do as much outside of that. So I would say looking at one of those two, you know, at 11, I'd probably be looking at, mostly at Seth Jarvis or Jack Quinn. Uh, my preference would be for someone like Seth Jarvis, even though he does skew on the shorter side of the draft. I think he's 5'10". Uh, but he has both. He has the skating and the incredible offensive instincts. You know, he's he's always willing to crash into the net. He's always willing to take some punishment to get to those high danger areas. And if he isn't doing it himself, he's able to make really creative plays to hit his teammates who are in those high danger areas. I think he's he would be the perfect line mate for someone like, you know, Nico Hesher, for example. Um, you know, Hesher could be the more defensively responsible person uh, driving towards the net. And then you have someone like Seth Jarvis just wheeling behind the play and making the final two or three moves to create a scoring chance. I think that would be amazing. But at the same time, Jack Quinn is probably the best shot in the draft. Uh, you know, he's up there with Alexander Holtz. The thought of of drafting both Holtz and Jack Quinn uh, makes me laugh a lot because you're basically betting on the same set of skills. Although, um, you know, I think Jack Quinn does bring more to the game in terms of two-way play than someone like Holtz, but he's not as much, uh, not as good of a skater. Um, So I guess, yeah, at the seventh spot, you'd be looking at Holtz or Perfetti. At 10 or 11, you'd be looking at Seth Jarvis or Jack Quinn. And then if you're swinging for offense at 17, you're probably going to have to look at someone like Noel Gundler. Um, to a lesser extent, Dawson Mercer or the chairman, uh, Lucas Reichel. Um, and if you know if you hit on two out of three of those guys, you're in a really good spot You know, three or four years down the line.
0: And it seems like, you know, you talk about Noel Gundler, you know, playing for a team like Lulea in uh, the Swedish Hockey League. You know, <clears throat> the, the Swedish Hockey League is doing really great with this uh, 2020 draft class where <clears throat> Holtz, Raymond, Gundler are all, you know, really great offensive players. It seems that either way, the Devils are going to come away with a Swedish player uh, with really good upside. Um, with, I just saw something saying that, um, there, there's a clause in, uh, Alexander Holtz's contract where he has to stay maybe one or two more seasons. Um, Mm -hmm. is that a, do you find that to be more of a pro than a con when drafting a player versus, you know, just rushing a player?
1: Yeah. I mean, you never want to rush a player. Um, at the same time, we've had some success recently with bringing players over. I know Jesper was had a kind of a frustrating year, but when he did make it to the AHL, um, I, th- I thought he did really well. Um, and we've had players like Igor Sharangovich uh, find lots of success in the AHL as well. Um, I don't think it's a problem to have him stay in Sweden uh, for this upcoming year. I mean, the Swedish Hockey League season is actually going to start before the draft happens. <laughs> Um, so he's kind of locked in for that year. Um, and if, if he doesn't come over for another season after that, then, you know, you'll have to be patient for him. Uh, but I'm not sure how many top 10 picks make the NHL in their draft, uh, plus two season. Like, like some players do take a bit more time than others. Um, I suspect he'd have the ability to play in the NHL. Um, and is like, next year like not this upcoming season but the next one um I think yeah if you sheltered him and you put him with the right players uh, he you he would definitely have the tools to succeed I don't think that's an issue though like look at someone like Vasily Podkolzin who the Canucks took last season they're in a position where they can be patient with him and I think it's going to pay off because you know there's an element of like you said, not rushing a player to the NHL, but you also want to make sure that the relationship between the NHL team and the drafted player um, is relatively free of conflict. And so if the player doesn't feel like they're ready or they're feeling pressured, you know, that can cause a bit of friction in the relationship too.
0: Yeah. And it makes me think, you know, not rushing certain players and certain position players, you know, uh, this year it seems to be weaker on defense um, usually there's always that one or two, you know, hidden gems in the defense, but it seems like the devils might not spend any capital on, uh, on a defensive player. If only one player, because they got a bunch last year. Do you think the devils will be more likely to get a defensive prospect in next year's draft? Like we all know the name Luke Hughes is out there. Um, I know Atu is supposed to be like the first overall pick um do you think any of those players for next year's draft will have a better you know idea for the devils uh going forward and you know kind of saying hold off on getting this player in 2020 let's get a different guy in the next draft from that
1: yeah i mean that's an interesting question joe um (laughs) yeah i don't i don't think they're going to reach on anybody you know like if like I think Braden Schneider is the third best defenseman in this draft. I wouldn't draft him at 10 if the other two guys you wanted, like Jamie Drysdale and Sanderson or John, I don't think it's smart to say, well, like we wanted a defenseman because our system looks like this. Um, let's just take the next best one. That's how you get into one of those Boston situations where they had those three consecutive picks and they just decided to pick the guys they wanted, not necessarily caring about their draft position. Um, and because of that, they missed out on all sorts of hilariously good players. And we still talk about it to this day. Um, you know, if if they don't find defensemen that they like this season, um, you know, I'd be surprised if they didn't take at least one defense at some point in the draft. Uh, just seeing how the, my top, you know, 17, 18, and probably lots of them play out, I'd be surprised if they ended up with more than one defenseman you know, within the first few rounds, just based on the players that are there and the quality of forward talent that we have. And to be honest, you know, when I look at our system, I think we probably have more, you know, NHL potential defensive prospects at the moment than we do forward prospects. And that's not to say that there aren't guys like, you know, Nathan Bastion, Mike McLeod, um, a few others that could be in the NHL, but their ceilings are at this point, not as high as I think the ceilings as some of our defensemen, you know, the, the Ty Smiths, Kevin Ball, um, you know, Daniel Missule, Riley Walsh, if he decides to sign with us. Um, so I, I think if we tend to skew the forward this season, I don't think that's a problem because to be honest, we could probably use it. Um, but when we look at the draft next year, as he mentioned, you mentioned, you know, Luke Hughes, Aturati, who is kind of the presumptive number one, but there are so many amazing defensemen that are going to be available in, I would say, even the top 10 next season. Uh, A couple other names that stand out to me, uh, Owen Power, uh, who is one of the most complete, I think, 16-year-old defensemen I've ever seen. Um, He's going kind of the the NCAA route, so he's not going to be, um, you know, he's not necessarily going to be ready to jump into the NHL right away, but he could definitely be a top 10 pick. Uh, another name that stands out is Brant Clark, who happens to be Graham Clark's, uh, younger brother. He's an amazing defenseman, uh, with the Barry Colts in the OHL, and he could be a top five pick too. Like there are just, you know, when, when you think about truly high end defensemen, uh, you know prospects that can contribute both in the defensive zone and offensively. I could think of four or five guys that could easily be top 10 talents and assuming the Devils have another, you know, relatively developmental season with I would say with disappointing results when it comes to the standings. Next year is not a bad year to end up with a top five pick, especially if you're looking for kind of that premier blue chip defensive prospect, because even if you end up picking fifth sixth, seventh overall, chances are, you know, one of those top four defensive prospects is going to be there. There's just so much talent there. It's, it's crazy. Um, You know, Owen Power and Brent Brent Clark in particular, I think, have the potential to be, you know, dynamite top two defensive players.
0: And so it does sound like, you know, if everything goes bad with the Arizona and Vancouver picks that slide over to 2021. It seems like the Devils have some really good uh ideal assets that they could use in the 2021 draft. And if they do find in the middle of 2020 that you know, or in the middle of the beginning of 202021, 2020, the Devils could trade one of those two extra picks in that upcoming draft plus a a conditional depending on the Carolina game. Uh, in the Quokinan deal, Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like the Dulls have a lot of assets to play with and they could dangle a few uh, of those assets to try and get a really good uh, mid twenties defenseman. I mean, age wise, that is not um, Mm -hmm. ranking because that'd be, that'd be pretty hefty. (laughs) Um, But I do want to get that um, idea for the listeners to get an idea of um, who do you think the Devils could dangle some of those uh, extra picks for if uh, things don't go their way with the play-in rounds?
1: Yeah, so you know if if Arizona either you know doesn't make they they lose the play-in round and worst situation they win the draft lottery, we're not going to get their pick this season. That's you know basically the only way uh, we don't get the Arizona pick. And if Vancouver misses the playoffs, uh, we'll, we won't get their pick either. So in that situation, the Devils have their own first-round pick next season and then two unprotected firsts, one from Arizona and one from Vancouver. And the, the interesting thing there is both Arizona and Vancouver have potential to, to, to have disappointing years next season. You know, Taylor Hall isn't guaranteed to stay in Arizona next season. Um, and they tend to be a team that's very much, you know, up and down. And then Vancouver has some really serious cap problems, um, and they might lose their starting goalie and Jakob Markstrom, um, and they have lots of tough decisions to make. And so, potentially, you know, if if everything aligns in that situation where both draft picks slide to next season, you have the potential for three lottery picks, um,
0: and, and it could and and, be more dangerous than what Ottawa has it with three and five.
1: Right. Exactly. Like you could, there could be a potential to have three picks in the top seven or eight, which is ridiculous, especially in a draft (laughs) that has so many high end defensemen in that case, you know, in that case, I wouldn't trade them at least not until the lottery. Right. Because, you know, if Vancouver and Arizona start tanking throughout the year, yes, those picks become more valuable, but when until you get to the draft lottery, there is a bit of a question mark there, both in terms of us. So, you know, we don't want to be the team that gives up a lottery pick, you know, let's say we give up the Vancouver pick in a trade to get, like you said, a defenseman that's in their mid twenties, that has potential to step up into a, into a bigger role. If that pick ends up being a top three pick, you know, you might have some, some big questions about that process. Um, To my mind, you don't trade those picks until you know where they land in the order. And if you have to make a trade on draft day, um, you know, you make it. But I I would say they're more likely to trade the picks this season at at this year's draft, provided they have multiple first round picks, than they would if those picks were to slide to next season.
0: And so before we do wrap it up, it just seems like you've done a lot of research, even during this uh, COVID pause. Um, What do you want to tell the viewers that, you know, that you're going to be doing before, you know, the draft lottery of phase two starts up again and the draft is, you know, later in the the season? Um, What Mm -hmm. do you want to tell the listeners uh, about those two things?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I've been doing lots of writing for uh, the Devils in the Details podcast. Um, it's devilsinthedetails.net is our website and there's some blog posts there Um, I primarily write I guess a column I guess you can call it a column called the future five which in my mind is basically a poor man's version of 31 thoughts except yeah much just much worse than written by me Um, (laughs) and you know in that I've been trying to explore all sorts of you know interesting ideas whether it's looking at I would say the more obscure devils prospects that people might not know about, you know, names like E2 Pakala, you know, Case McCarthy, um, and so forth. Um, so I'm going to be continuing to do that and try to dig into uh, more and more detail on people who are already in the double system. And then as we approach the actual draft itself in October, um, be writing about specific draft targets. So if you're interested in that, I yeah, definitely encourage you to follow along. And Joe, you were at our draft lottery live stream, right? Yes, I was. A couple weeks ago. So we're actually doing another one of those for the phase two draft lottery, which is coming up on August 10th. So if you're really bored on August 10th and you want to (laughs) hang out with people and talk about Devils hockey and have potentially your your hopes and dreams crushed. um, Yeah. I definitely encourage you to check that out. Um, (laughs) You can find information about that at devilsonthedetails.net or on our YouTube channel. Uh, I think, the, the video is already up there. You can set a reminder to make sure to join us on the 10th, but yeah, we're just going to hang out um, and chat about the draft lottery. Um, I guess, recent news uh, and what the next year for the devils might look like. So um, yeah, definitely <laughs> encourage you to come hang out.
0: Yes. I actually do like hanging out on there and um uh, I, I usually when the devils win a draft lottery beforehand, I'm usually feeling butterflies in my stomach and uh, mm. I didn't feel any butterflies in this stomach. Um, <laughs> and I kind of knew that something wasn't going our way this year yeah. for some reason, but uh, that's how I felt. But I think if I do feel butterflies, I I hope it's the reason of Arizona not uh, getting first overall pick. So uh, exactly. I, I just don't want to get my hopes up about the Carolina Ranger series because uh anything could go wrong for any of those two.
1: Oh, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, that's anybody's guess. But Joe, what I'm hearing is that the draft lobby result was potentially your fault based on that butterfly feeling,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, I I I know my buddy uh who is the host of this podcast, Jake Wakeley, uh he said that you know, it just didn't quite feel right so yeah. he he kind of knew something was uh you know like he was very nervous i said i usually feel butterflies and i just mm. i i couldn't feel it, anything else but um that's all i have for uh emotions when it comes to draft libraries
1: <laughs> yeah fair enough,
0: fair enough. Uh, I know it's almost five o'clock somewhere and I know you uh, got
1: wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, thanks so much for having me on again, Joe. It's it's a lot of fun to, to jump on and chat hockey with you.
0: Thank you so much, Duncan. And uh, for everyone else, this is the Raising Hell in Jersey podcast and, uh, and have a wonderful day.